welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio, a podcast devoted to examining successful marketing strategies driving new business development at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I am joined by Josh Rosenzweig. Josh is the founder of Wibney Labs, where he helps organizations improve business processes, simplify cross-functional communication, and create unique service offerings. Josh, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about innovation, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, and I think it's important to start by asking, what is innovation? Uh, so when you're helping your clients, what are you helping them to do? What are you helping them to innovate? I guess at the heart, what does innovation mean in the context of what you're doing for your clients, whether they're law firms, nonprofits, or other organizations? When I'm working, you know, especially with law firms or in-house counsel, the biggest challenge, at least that I face, is separating innovation from what's happening within legal technology, because most lawyers are sort of seeing what's going on in that space and equating legal technology to innovation. And what I try to do is kind of break those barriers down and start from the beginning and saying, you know, technology is a, a tool or enabler to get to innovation. Um, but for me, innovation is really about identifying a problem and then executing a solution to that problem. And in some cases, it may use technology. In other cases, it may be process improvement. It may be a new business model or a new service line. But for me, the technology is just a tool in terms of getting there. You know, something else about that is that when people think about innovation in tech, they're often thinking large-scale disruption. Mm -hmm. Looking through a lot of the case studies on your website, I don't get the sense that that's necessarily what you're doing with law firms. I mean, it does it have to be disruptive or, or what kind of scale are we talking about in terms of in terms of innovation? No, I don't think it has to be disruptive at all. I mean, I think especially in the legal industry, it's actually challenging to be disruptive. You know, there's not going to necessarily be the Uber of legal. Um, and it's mostly, I think, based on the structure of how the legal industry, you know, kind of comes into play when you're dealing with clients. You know, most law firms don't own a client. Um, they don't even necessarily own a specific practice area or, or matter type. They're sharing that with you know twenty to other twenty or thirty other firms, especially if it's a larger firm. Um, but even if it's a smaller firm, they may do a, you know a little subset of that work, and they're also competing with other vendors and other alternative legal service providers. So trying to be disruptive in that space can be very challenging. So what I try to do is figure out you know where they're a little areas within the firm, either internally or externally, things that are client-facing, that they can make some improvement, whether it's improving client satisfaction, um, improving you know the way in which they do that work, or even, again, just coming up with a, a different service line that maybe is not there on the market that can kind of push the needle a little bit. I mean, it sounds like it's just sort of smoothing small frictions to make that relationship easier. Yes. And I think it also helps when you try to focus on smaller pieces that, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, a law firm or even like an in-house legal team, you know, the culture necessarily isn't there for innovation. So if you start out small rather than coming in, you know, with this grand idea to, to change the legal industry, um, you can get a little bit more buy-in that way. I mean, we're going to talk about buy-in sort of next, but, you know, while we're there, the industry is sort of um, sort of bound by ideas like precedent, you know, mm -hmm. what's happened before who's done this, you know, how do you change the conversation? What kind of language do you use to break that so that you can even find those small opportunities 
to make the process better? Yeah. So for me right now, it's actually a little bit easier because, I mean, innovation is a hot topic within law firms right now. Um, you know, you had some of the bigger firms kind of be the, the first entries into the market, whether they were creating internal innovation labs or doing some external things um, with consulting firms. So the topic is there. The real challenge that I face is talking to firms about how they actually implement innovation. Uh, and one of the things I like to focus on is this idea of innovation infrastructure. So, you know, a firm, you know, may go and start uh, a committee or an initiative around innovation. And what I help them do is kind of build that framework for how it's actually going to be successful. So looking at the idea of innovation governance, you know, how are they going to create the kind of rules and responsibilities and management around that program, you know, who's going to make the decisions, whether it's going to be a committee or an, a managing partner or, you know, a combination of those two, you know, how are they going to structure that? How are they going to create a charter around that? And then I also focus on this idea of kind of what the model is. And a lot of times I'll walk firms through different models that are either, you know, other law firms are using or just kind of generally within other industries, you know, what those things might look like. So, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, I'll talk to firms about this idea of social innovation. So, you know, kind of going out across the organization and soliciting ideas from people um, and then bringing all those ideas in and sort of filter through them to understand, you know, where the best bang for their buck may be. Um, and there are other models that are out there, you know, innovation labs that, you know, they're kind of set up as physical spaces that people come into and exchange ideas internally as well as bringing in clients. So when I talk to firms, I try to understand, you know, kind of what their culture is and how that culture may fit into a model or a hybrid of models um, that they're going to be successful. Because the biggest challenge for any firm is, you know, they create an innovation in initiative or, you know, program and making sure that it's successful all the way through. And it's not just kind of this kind of marketing ploy to show that they're innovative. In there, you know, talking about the culture, talking about whether, you know, it's working with clients or working internally, if there's an innovation lab, you know, a question that that, that brings to my mind is who is creating this innovation? Is it coming, you know, is it top down or is it bottom up? Where do you see ideas for innovation starting? Is it someone coming, you know, an associate or a, a junior partner saying, hey, I'm seeing this flaw, can we fix it? And then it running up the chain and having a, a program put in place to fix it? Or is it somewhere higher up in the management where they're seeing a flaw in their numbers and they're saying, how do we fix this? Yeah, so I see a lot of firms do both models. You know, there are firms that have this kind of top-down approach. And at least from my experience, those are the ones that are least successful because Again, most of that I think is is marketing driven. I mean, there's a huge business around, you know, firms winning awards for being innovative. And that's where I see a lot of that coming from is sort of this top-down approach. But for me, the most ex successful innovation programs really happen from the bottom. And my philosophy is any employee within a firm, whether it's a, a secretary or someone in IT or marketing or an associate, has the ability to have innovative ideas. It's just is the the framework there for them to express those ideas. And a lot of times you know, not everybody has the skills to express those ideas. They they can identify them, but they may not have a, a path or, or the skill set to actually take those initiatives or those ideas and turn them into solutions. And it was interesting because I recently, maybe a month ago, put out a post on LinkedIn. And what I said was, for me, the, the real innovation that's going to happen is mid-level associates kind of 
given a, being given a podium to express their ideas because that's where I see the most innovative ideas coming from is that mid-level, the associates that are removed from kind of the junior work where a lot of the process improvement is happening, but they're close enough to the client where they're understanding what the challenges are. Um, and that's where I see you know them kind of putting those two pieces together and really coming up with ideas and solutions that I think are going to change firms for the better. I mean, that seems like a huge cultural shift in a firm to yes. trust those associates. Mm-hmm. How do you make that shift happen? Is it a matter of education or is it a matter of small changes that show success to kind of build up to these are just things, you know, what does it take to to change the culture in a firm or any organization really so that that you do trust the people who are in the best position to see uh, opportunities for improvement? It takes a combination of things that, you know, it takes buy-in from the firm, not only from maybe the partners that are leading an innovation initiative, but also from the professional staff, whether that be, you know, a CMO or a CIO that's kind of involved in that process, identifying those associates that maybe have that skill set. And then for me, what I try to do is teach those those individuals the skills, you know, using things like design thinking and and other methodologies so that they can present their ideas in a concise way. So I spend a lot of time working with individuals on building business cases so that they, you know, it's not just them coming to a partner and saying, I have this great idea and it's going to cost X number of dollars to do, but really thinking through the process of how they're actually going to take that idea, maybe build a prototype, what that's going to look like, you know, how is it going to go into a pilot version and how are they ultimately going to market that product if it's something that's client facing or even something that they have to market internally to get other attorneys to use. You know, it's funny, you you talk about products yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they're not the products that I would think of. I mean, you're, it's not like you're coming out with a, a new widget of some kind. What kind of, when you say product, like, what do you mean? Like, can you give me a, a concrete example or two of the kind of of products that, that have come up, maybe one client-facing and one internal? Sure. So um, a client-facing product might be, you know, a lot of firms have libraries of, of knowledge that they, you know, have internally that they may share with clients that, you know, could add some value that, you know, necessarily a, a client doesn't need to call an attorney every single time to get an answer to. So I've worked with a number of firms of taking those libraries and building sort of user interfaces and user experiences that change the way, you know, a client portal might look like, that they're not necessarily going into a SharePoint site and looking at individual Word documents, but we create a dynamic environment where they can go in and select whether it's geography-based or practice area-based, where they can go in and look at specific information that they might need that they don't have to call a partner for. So I've done that, you know, especially in the financial services area. There are, you know, a number of products that are out there that firms have created where, you know, a hedge fund can go in and understand, you know, how they might market a particular financial product in a specific country. And these products are out there to allow them to kind of find that information and that legal advice that, you know, necessarily doesn't quantify having an attorney speak to them about, but gives them guidance on where they might go. So that's an example of kind of an alternative revenue stream that firms are starting to look at. For internal products, you know, there's a lot of talk about AI and artificial intelligence and how that's going to be changing the way firms do sort of different work. This idea of M&A due diligence and using AI, AI products to, to complete that work, I kind of view as a product because a lot of times you know, when a firm implements a, a tool like that, they're needing to sell that to different practice groups and practice areas within the firm. So there's, for me, you know, the innovation is kind of the first step of getting those ideas into, you know, potential solution. But what I also talk to firms about is taking the innovation part and then moving it through to a product and then moving it into kind of a commercialization stage where they're actually having to create a, a marketing campaign around that, whether that be internal or external. 
so I'm thinking of this as very process oriented, mm -hmm. but you're looking, I mean, from that, from that answer right here that there's, there's more layers to it. I mean, there's opportunities for it not just to say smooth the client experience, but potentially to be a, a driver of revenue as well. Yeah. And I, I think that's the big thing. I mean, when I started thinking about innovation and design thinking back in sort of 2011, 2012, pitched an idea at a firm I was working at to create an innovation lab. And there was very little interest in that because most at that time, they just saw it as a cost center. I was going to go in a room and start you know, thinking about different ideas and writing things on sticky notes in a wall. Um, so what I try to do is, is talk about that there is a revenue component to it. It may take some time. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. And, you know, in doing this process, there are going to be things that failed and that are going to cost money. But that's what you have to sort of buy into to get to a point where you can generate new revenue that's not you know, strictly based on the legal work that's being done at the firm. So let's move to sort of the process and, you know, what it looks like when a firm or an organization decides that they want to change something, fix something, take advantage of an opportunity, what the process is for doing that. And I just wanted to start with a, I just read this, this article recently. So Koi Vin, uh, who is uh, a designer at Adobe and a blogger and a sort of a, a thinker and writer on design, uh, recently published an article at Fast Company on their co-design publication. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes for this. But the quote, quote from it that caught my eye was, is what was designed actually in the long-term interests of its users? Does it model healthy or unhealthy interactions and behaviors? Does it strengthen the long-term relationship between the brand and its customers? How does it contribute to the way people relate to technology, media, and to one another? Is the design aesthetically good or bad, and why? You know, when he's talking about how do we talk about design and how do we criticize what we're doing, but most of those qu underlying questions really seem to make sense, you know, in terms of the design thinking process, because it really is it's design thinking. But it makes a lot of sense for, for law firms to think this way also, because it is important to think about what's the relationship between the client and the firm. You know, am I thinking about this from a, a long-term perspective? And am I driving long-term relationships? Or am I just trying to maximize revenue in the next quarter and not thinking through, you know, the next two years and what that relationship might be worth? You know, am I thinking about, oh, this is a cost center, not a potential revenue stream? So I just wanted to preface sort of the design thinking component with that. I mean, I don't know if you want to have any comments about any of that or if you want to just go straight to design thinking. No, I think, I mean, one of the things that I've seen that has been very interesting is a lot of firms kind of make, they haven't made that connection between client needs and their own desires to create innovation. And, you know, I've been working with a, a couple of firms and have presented this idea of why don't we go and talk to clients and, and ask them, you know, what they think about, you know, a potential idea that you have, or even a, an existing service that you may want to kind of revamp. And, you know, there, I get pushback on that, you know, because one, you know, they're worried about sort of maintaining sort of positivity in their relationship. And this idea of getting feedback that might not be positive is, is somewhat scary to them. But I found once, you know, I, I've convinced them to do that and they get that feedback, you know, when we've reintroduced a product or a service to that client after we've taken that feedback in and, and revamped it and, and are ready to kind of take it to market again you know, they see the kind of aha moment when the client's like, yes, this is exactly what I needed. So for anything, it takes some time for, especially for lawyers to, you know, see that in practice. And, it, you know, you need to find the right mix of kind of to start lawyers that are interested in doing that so that, you know, there's a domino effect that, the, you know, other lawyers see success and then they're really, you know, ready to kind of jump on board. So what is sort of the spark that you find usually 
sets off the process? What kind of idea comes up or what kind of problem comes up that someone brings you in to say, help us fix this, help us you know, use design thinking to solve this problem? So what I'm seeing a lot of now is actually not a particular idea that somebody has, but I'm starting to see that in-house counsel are sort of asking their outside counsel, what are they doing in terms of innovation? So I'm you know seeing a lot of that in RFPs right now. Like, what is your innovation process? What are you doing to be more innovative? So that's kind of been a, a spark because that's directly, you know, kind of aligned with with revenue. So for me, that it's really started there of getting, you know, people are starting to think about how do we handle this and how do we respond to that? You know, and sometimes it just starts with, can you help us with a response to this RFP to show that we're being innovative? But then I start to talk through, well, if you're going to do this and kind of show that you're, you know, able to kind of think about, you know, new ideas and how you're going to implement them within the firm or implement them to an existing client, you know, starting to talk through that process. But it's definitely started with kind of the the RFP process, which for a lot of firms, that's where a lot of initiatives do start. Now that firms have a little bit of fire under them that they have to, mm-hmm. that, you know, this isn't going to start coming from clients or is already coming from clients. When you help implement a process for them, what is sort of the steps that that, that, that are, that's in that process? Like, where, where do you start? So I try to, I mean, design thinking is a rather new concept, especially within in legal. Uh, so what I try to do is equate design thinking to kind of this idea of project management, because that's something that has been around in firms for a number of years now. And, and most firms are kind of in that that space. And I sort of make the equation of, you know, Project management is about taking projects and kind of moving them along the pipeline. Design thinking is about taking ideas and taking those ideas through that pipeline to ultimately turn into a a solution that you can execute on. So the big thing I try to focus on is, at least to start this idea of idea incubation. A lot of firms, you know, they're just kind of looking for that aha idea that, you know, diamond in the rough that's going to change the way they do business. And the reality is that that doesn't necessarily happen, you know, initially, you know, it takes some time, you know, if an associate comes with an idea, you know, to implement, you know, a new technology solution, you know, it's kind of the first thing they might do is just start looking at different vendors and, and technologies that are out there to kind of implement them. And what I try to do is let them take a step back and say, okay, you, you've identified that there's a problem. And I try to kind of help them reframe what that problem is. It's not that you need a new technology solution. There's some underlying you know need that's not being met. And let's identify what that is and kind of start from the ground up and think about, you know, how are we going to solve that problem, you know, just from a sort of practical level. And it doesn't get into the, you know, you don't get into the kind of technical pieces of what technology you're going to use to much later down the road when you start thinking about prototyping and, and how you're actually going to implement that. So that reframing of the the problem is something I, I like to, to start with because it really helps them understand that there's not just, you know, one way of doing something that you can, you know, and ultimately the initial problem that they kind of identified might not be the ultimate thing that they actually go in and implement. So once they've kind of identified what the problem is, where do you go from there in terms of building a solution. So I think you know, the biggest component is once you have that idea is then going back to the the internal users or the you know the sellers of that product to kind of refine it a little bit more. So, you know, if it's an individual associate that comes up with a, a new idea, you know, to change the way that they maybe attack a specific matter. The key is getting buy-in from the rest of that practice group or practice area and start to, you know, kind of get feedback early on because the the 
you know, I've seen products or, you know, new initiatives where kind of one or two people have taken it and, you know, taken it all the way to the finish line and then they try to introduce it to the practice area and there's just a ton of pushback. Um, so for me, like transparency is a very important thing. And that's a, another kind of hot topic that I have to talk to firms about because, you know, a lot of firms are very worried about, you know, sort of leakage of their ideas, even internally, that they don't want to share what's happening. Um, so I try to, you know, kind of to get buy-in across the firm, you know, you need to be transparent about where things are so it doesn't look like things are happening in a vacuum, that people that maybe didn't come up with the idea may still have some input and some value that they can share based on their own experiences. So, you know, it may be as simple as creating a website, you know, an internal kind of intranet that shows the projects that are going on. And obviously, you don't want to put everything out there because you might be worried about, you know, someone sharing that information, but kind of a general idea of what the projects are that the firm's working on and allow people to maybe come in at different stages. You know, everybody has different skills. There are people that can identify problems. There are people that are very good at brainstorming and coming up with ideas. And then there are people that are very good at kind of taking those things and kind of being a, a project manager. And so allowing individuals to come in when they feel comfortable, I think, is very important in this process. You know, it's interesting. I On one of the uh, LMA bulletin boards recently, there was a, a conversation about cross-selling. And those those issues of transparency that you were talking about, very similar kinds of problems in terms of building trust, even within a firm to get some of these pro programs to work. So I can see that being a challenge, but it also seems apparent and obvious that it's necessary that there's lots of people with ideas that have a slightly different perspective and are going to make that idea better. Yeah. And, I, and it comes back down to that sort of top down, bottom up approach. I don't think you can have one or the other. I think you need to have both. You know, you need people at the top to have the buy in that want to push innovation. But the real ideas are going to happen in the front lines of the people that are either interacting internally within the firm or interacting with clients. And you need those things to come together in the right way. And, you know, there's everybody thinks that innovation is just a bunch of people in a room having great conversations and all agreeing on things. But, you know, for me, real innovation happens when there's friction and there should be friction because that's when you know you're onto something. When, you know, certain people may agree on something and then you have a different group that comes in and has a different spin on it. That's the real world. It's not every, you know, client that you're going to introduce a product or a service to is going to like it. Um, but taking all those different ideas and inputs in and trying to build something that, you know, hopefully, you know, kind of you can bring out and, and get enough buy-in that makes an impact is important. And you talked about right there building. So once you've kind of got that idea and you've kind of refined those ideas, do you put it out there or do you test it? Like what's that step once you kind of feel like you're ready to build something? So for, for most firms, it really kind of having a pilot, I think, is, is the best way to go just because, again, you know, most firms are risk averse. They Especially if it's something that's client facing, they don't want to just kind of throw it out there and, and see what happens. So um, for me, especially if it's something that's client facing, you know, I talk to firms about identifying clients that have a similar sort of innovative entrepreneurial mindset, you know, whether it's that company or even the individuals that they may work with um, that recognize that it's going to be painful and not everything's going to be perfect. Perfect. Um, there's going to be bumps along the road, but somebody that has that mindset understands that and they want to be involved in that process because any product or service that's created, it needs to be a living, breathing thing. You know, once you build it, it shouldn't end. It, that's just the starting point and having a process to, you know, continually collect feedback and the resources to also kind of continually make improvements is very important. You know, the, the firms that are out there kind of building things and then just leaving it, you know, those those products and services die very quickly because, you know, the, the market changes, you know, user needs change, um, and they need to have kind of the resources there to keep it moving. 
it's funny again at the beginning of the process you collapse a couple of like sort of the standard design thinking mm -hmm. steps and at the end there you're collapsing them again that pilot program being sort of the, the idea of a prototype and then with feed you know once you've kind of implemented it getting the feedback iterating on it and then pushing it out further i mean and again you're collapsing that all into one step but there are again language and and how do you apply it to the to the specific industry and the needs of an industry like legal yeah in an ideal world you know you want to have those things spaced out i mean i've just seen the practicality of that in law firms when you're dealing with partners that you know essentially a law firm is a holding company for all these different service lines and everybody has their own individual needs and so you need to be flexible you know I'd love to just run through that whole process and you know get there, but that's just it's just not going to happen within a firm. Where does the process end? At what point does someone go, great, we've innovated, we're done? To me, I don't think it ends. It's still early stages. I don't think any firm has kind of reached that that peak of we've created an innovative product. They, they may market it that way. But again, because of how the industry is structured, there's always new competitors coming in, whether it's an alternative legal provider or a new vendor coming in, that you can't just kind of sit back and, and let things kind of sit there and, and kind of accumulate dust. You know, it needs to be something where you're taking an idea and then trying to find ways to scale that to other practice areas or other, you know, matters. Most of the things that are done in legal can be used across the platform, whether it be on the transactional side or the litigation side. So once you do that kind of one step of, you know, finding maybe an individual client or matter where you can, you know, introduce an innovative idea, the next step is seeing how can you implement that across the firm. Um, and I think that's, that's what firms are struggling with now, because again, you're dealing with individuals and individuals with their own business lines. And, you know, everybody thinks that their specific practice area is unique and they don't like this idea of packaging a solution. But for me, that's where I see the industry going. It's it's packaging solutions that can be sold to different clients. Well, that was great. You Normally at the end of these interviews, I like to end with like a two or three tip kind of thing. So wondering if you have a tip or two or three for that firm that is feeling stagnated and feels like they need to change, but just doesn't know how to get there or that firm that has feels like they've kind of gotten this idea and either don't know what to do with it or feel like they've sort of grabbed the tiger by the tail and are getting pulled away and are out of control. So about one tip for each of them. Sure. So the firm that's kind of you know not sure where where to go or what to do with with the idea of innovation, um, you know the best way to start, I think is kind of doing workshops and teaching just general sort of design thinking and innovation skills to the people within the firm. Um, because you just have to change that mindset that there are, you know, people have ideas. It's just how are they going to extract those and, and share those ideas? So even that simple step of, you know, even if you did like a, a one-hour workshop on what what is design thinking, you know, I've seen kind of the light bulb go off and maybe it's only one or two people, but sometimes that's all it takes is for one or two people to have an idea and then, you know, especially if it's a, a smaller or mid-sized firm, you know, typically there's greater access to decision makers that they can take that and maybe kind of run with it a little bit. You know, you don't have to spend a lot of money. I, you know, I've seen firms kind of take an idea using a couple hundred dollars, you know, and a lot of, you know, whether if it's a tech, you know, kind of slant on it, most vendors out there will give you free pilots of things um, to try them out. It doesn't need to be the the final solution, but kind of that just that general sort of initial step, I think, is, is helpful just to get the ideas flowing. Um, for a firm that maybe has an idea that's not sure what to do with it, having, I would say, an individual or a group of people 
maybe that are not full time kind of in the innovation space, but at least have, you know, dedicated time, even if it's like 10 or 15% of their time that's dedicated to helping that individual bring that idea to life. So if it's an associate that has kind of a, a different way of thinking about things, firm should, whether it's someone from marketing or IT, give that person the resources to kind of see it through a little bit more. It, you, don't, you don't need to put a ton of investment into it, but just kind of showing even that individual that there's interest from the firm. Most associates, you know, they talk to each other, you know, they, they, and that's where kind of the culture of, you know, the associate levels can either be very positive or very negative of whether or not it's an innovative idea or they want a new, have new benefits, you know, doing things like yoga, you know, across the firm, they want to be listened to and they want to feel like they have a voice. And so just giving them that platform to have a voice, they're going to tell their friends, Oh, look, I had this great idea. You know, the firm gave me a couple of resources to kind of see it through you know, then maybe another person comes up and, and speaks up because, you know, the challenge for associates is they're, they're just there and they're trying to bill hours and they don't want to create too many waves. But for me, that's, that's where the ideas live. So giving them a platform to do that, I think would be beneficial to firms. Josh, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio Podcast. Thank you, Michael, for having me. And thank you to our listeners who've joined us for this episode. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And wherever you find us, please leave a like or a review. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com. It is just legalmarketing.studio. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business, a full-service corporate photography studio focused on the legal industry, based in Brooklyn, New York, and working with clients nationally. More information can be found at picturemorebusiness.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening.